Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. So we got a couple more uh, Sundays at At The Movies. And I'll tell you what, man, this series, I could do At The Movies all year long. I just love movies, all right? And uh, I was a little jealous of our associate pastor. Him and his wife went and saw a new one here this last week, and they said it was really good. Mountain Between Us, I think it was called. So um, I want to get out and see some more. So we got to go on some dates, all right? Um, I was talking to my wife, by the way, no offense. <laughs> we can all go if you want later. I have a dog, and my dog is somewhat human like who's who you have a dog anybody have a dog your animal thinks he or she is human that's my dog and so we got this dog when she was seven months old seven weeks old excuse me 49 days really young just a little pup in fact we came into church that sunday some of you might remember this we said we're just so excited we got a special announcement for you this morning that heather and i have a new addition to our family everybody started applauding some of you remember this and i put the picture of the dog on the screen every booed us it was great and and this little teeny dog, it used to be able to fit in the palm of my hand. It's a golden doodle. She's beautiful. She costs way too much. And um, I, I got this book because I'd never raised a puppy before. I had raised kids, and I think that's easier. And I, I got the little book, How to Raise Dogs for Dummies. You know, the yellow book that we just go to and calls you a dummy. And I go, all right. So I read it, and it, you know, it talks about get in a circle, call her name, her name's Spirit, and, and then when she comes to you, you know, you get all excited. If she goes to the wrong person, you don't, and, and we're doing all this training. Well, it gets to this one chapter about how you tell a dog no, and I'm, I'm just reading it, I'm eating it up, and it says what you do here is you get in a circle, and you put a tissue in the middle of the floor, you know, just like a, a nose-blown tissue, right down on the ground, and what you do is you walk with your dog on inside, and when your dog goes for the tissue... You do this. You go, no, bad tissue, horrible tissue. And you like smack the ground. And you look all crazy. And so we do this. And Spirit, like her tail goes straight up. You know, she's like all excited. And I'm going, no, bad tissue. And so what's supposed to happen is when they go to do something, you're not telling the dog that she's bad. You're telling the thing that it's bad. So she, has, she doesn't have like a personality complex and needs counseling. And so I, she does. She, she's so weird. And, and so we do this. And everything worked in this book. But how many know sometimes things as what they seem is not what they are many, many times. What you think they are is not how it seems. And uh, what I thought was going to take place, I thought this was really going to work. This, they, they had research done in this book. They're like, yeah, it works great, all of this. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So about six months after I trained her in this, I come home. And as you walk in our mudroom right to the left, there's a little bathroom right there. And, and I come home and we have a little, uh, you know, garbage can. About six months, we took her out of the kennel. We left her at home. I come home and she has every single tissue out of the garbage can because she thinks it's a game. She's like, are we going to play? Are we going to play again? Are we going to play? And so I'm, I, here's, here's the deal. Sometimes I think what we think actually works or is going to work, it just doesn't sometimes, right? Have you ever tried something in your life and just didn't work? Or what you think is going to happen just doesn't? Something else ends up happening. Who's that happened to before? You expected something and you got a different outcome, right? If you're married, you have figured that one out. My wife got that. Here's what I want to talk about today. This is so different than what I normally talk about. I'm just kind of excited about it. And I want to talk about heaven. You know, every song we did this morning was about heaven. It was about 
What is heaven like? Who cares? Why does it matter? Well, today, if we accept Christ, we live our eternity starting today, not when we pass away. And when I look at heaven, I think we have all these different ideas of what heaven is like. You know, there's so many movies about the afterlife that we look at and we read, and how many know most of them are, they're not biblical, okay? Like, they're great, they're great stories, you know, but the movie Ghost, you ever seen that? It's not biblical, I hate to break it to you, okay? I know you're, you're bummed that Patrick Swayze, yeah, anyway. Um, a lot of them are like that, and they really take this look at the afterlife, and we wonder, are our ghosts real? Do people come back? All this happen? And, and all I can do when it comes to heaven is I can give you what the Word of God says, that's it. Because I think what happens in our mind, heaven is not as it seems, okay? Heaven is not as it seems. What do we think about? When you stop and you actually think about what heaven looks like right now, what do you picture? What do you think about? You know, I, honestly, the first thing I go to is I'm in a boat on a lake, fishing, okay? And then we stop at a pizza place or something. Like, that's, that's my instant idea of heaven. It's so wrong. It's so Americanized, you know? Because my idea of heaven's all about me, and I'm going, well, what really is heaven? And so there's a movie, a chick flick movie that I love that is not what it seems to be. And this has become one of my favorite chick flick movies. I'm a musical freak. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to bear with me today. We're going to use the movie to teach biblical truth. So if you don't like the movie, you can tune out for just a couple seconds. But let me show you just the trailer here very briefly. Go ahead, Levi. We got it? You either follow my rules or follow my rules. Capiche? Thank you. I can do it a different way. Oh, that's, that's fine. Thank you very much. such a traditionalist. You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. All right, so who are my La La fans? Any, anybody seen it? My wife and one other. I love it. So awesome. Welcome to a new movie that none of you have seen. If you don't like music and you don't like singing, 
Yeah, don't even watch it, okay? Like, it's just love, romance. Ah, it's so great. I loved it, man. We, my wife and I, we kissed for a long time after that movie. No, I'm just, I got in trouble because I'm too real sometimes, so I got to be careful. Um, here's what I want to talk about. In this movie, here's what takes place without giving it away, is the two main characters here, Sebastian and Maya, fall in love. It's just your typical romance movie and you think everything is happening one way and then all of a sudden you realize it's not and there's a lot of differences and I think without giving it away some of you won't see just google it sometimes it's a great plot but you realize what they thought was taking place then he has this dream of becoming a jazz club owner that's his dream and she has this dream of making it you know in LA as, a, as an actress and so they start, you know, coming together. They keep running into each other. You know, is it fate? Is it not fate? You know, and, and you would think typical Hollywood has what kind of endings? Happily ever after, right? And all of a sudden some different stuff takes place and happens. You're like, what is going on? And it like, it rips your heart out and puts your heart back in. And, and you're watching all this take place. And I'm going, things are not always as they seem. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to unwrap a little bit of heaven, because it's not exactly how it seems to us. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation. If you want to grab your Bible, you can. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 4 in just a minute. But before we do that, let me paint this picture for you. John, the apostle, wrote the book of Revelation. Now, if you've never read Revelation, just a little over 20 chapters, and within this book, it has some symbolism. It talks about the future. It talks about some history. It talks about... Um, Israel's timeline, it talks about the Roman Empire and Jerusalem's destruction. There's so much, it's got like weird looking creatures in it. It is like one of the coolest books in all of the Bible. And unfortunately, it's one book that gets so misinterpreted because we take it out of context all the time. And it's meant to be within a certain context. Now picture this, John the Apostle who wrote it, just to get us all on the same page. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. 66 books in the Bible. Revelation is the last one. And so this last book kind of ties everything together. It talks about what happened, what's, what's happening, and what is going to take place, what is going to happen. And so what is going to happen is we have a choice to make where if we say yes to Christ, we receive eternal life. And then hopefully our hope is in Christ where we get to receive heaven, the gift of heaven, where we get to go someday. And so what does that all look like? Well, here's John. And it says that here he is on the island of Patmos. He's been captured, he's been tortured, he's in prison, and here he is in this prison on the island. And he just asks God, he says, God, give me the word that you want me to write. And just imagine, you had nothing else, you had, you had no iPad nowadays, you know, nothing. You're just stuck there on this island with nothing to do other than to work on your relationship with God. Would you come become close to God? Probably, or you get mad at him, you have a choice. He became super close, and so he writes this revelation it's John's revelation of what's to come. And it's just incredible. Let me show you two parts here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. This is the entire book of Revelation. And so today we're going to take a look at what takes place later. Now we're not going to talk, I'm not going to talk about end times. I said that last week. We're not going to go there right now. We will eventually. But I want to talk about like when we cease to exist here what does it look like there? What does it look like there? So now I want to read to you just a few verses together, a little more than usual. If you want to close your eyes and picture this, you can, but it actually shows us just a glimpse of what heaven might be like, this revelation John receives. Here it is in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Here we go. 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, these gems, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. Keep trying to picture this. It's incredible. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, before the throne, there was what looks like the sea of glass, clear as crystal. I kind of picture like our floor in here, you know? All right. In the center around the floor were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. This is not teenagers, by the way. Verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You ever think heaven kind of looked like that? It's just a little bit, this is called the throne room scene of God. People have actually tried to paint this. Let me show you a couple pictures of heaven. Here's the first one right here. This is one picture that, that someone said, this is kind of what they think it might look like. There's a second here. Do we have that second one? Yeah, here, here's this other one. I mean, it's just crazy. All these people around worshiping, and I think, you know, and, and then here's my idea of heaven. I'll show you the next one. That, that's mine. So um, here's the deal. In all of Scripture, there's only one record of God actually taking a seat. Only one time. Let me read it to you. Here it is. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, that's another name for God, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. The only time we ever see God take a seat in all of Scripture throughout all history is when he is getting ready to judge the world. He's perfect in love, but he's perfect in justice. In other words, he says, man, unless you know my son Jesus Christ, you cannot receive eternal life. You have no inheritance unless you know him. It's that simple. That's, that's the gospel right there in all its simplest form. That's it. And so we see in this scene, Revelation 4, we see him sitting down, taking a seat, and everybody coming and worshiping him and laying it down. And I think a couple of things I want to unpack is what does that worship really look like? How are we to worship him now? What, why does it even matter for us? And the coolest thing is there's hope. I don't know about you, but man, hope in the eternal life matters. Think about this. Put, put yourself in my shoes for one moment. If there was not hope in eternal life, would what I do for a living matter? No. No. Because then we're, we're talking the wrong thing. 
I have banked my life. I've cashed in my chips. I have rolled the dice on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and resurrected. Everything I give for that because I have the hope of heaven. I have that hope. This whole scene in Revelation is known as the throne room scene. And so first, what John does is he focuses on the one seated on the throne. That's the center focal point of everything within Scripture. If we do not put Jesus at the center, then he won't take any other place. He only wants the center. The second, he focuses on what's around the throne, what's taking place around there. They're laying their crowns down. They're giving up their pride. They're saying, man, these are kings and elders. We don't know what they represent. There's a lot of guesses, but they're taking off their crowns. They're saying, I'm giving up my authority, I'm giving up any honor, and I'm giving up all of my rights to give everything to him. Now, I have to be really real with you. When I think of heaven, I think, is that, is that it? Do we just go to a throne room? We just hang out with Jesus, and we just, we just bow down, and we worship him 24-7 all the rest of the days of our life? I've got to be really honest with you. I struggle with that going, I don't, I don't know that I like that. And then I realize what happens, and I think this is where I so miss it. I'm not talking about anybody else but me. Is what I miss is the fact that when we are with Jesus, when we're actually with him, when we're in his presence, when we feel the Holy Spirit move. John says, I was in the spirit. When we're in the spirit of God, it doesn't even matter if heaven looks like, you know, Savoy pizza. Because we're in the presence of God. Nothing else even matters. That's what I want on earth, man more than anything. I want to be so in his presence that everything just falls to the side. This throne room scene, the third thing John does is he indicates what flows out from the throne. He talked about the lightning, the peals of thunder. Man, it's just the maj- majesticness of God, his majesty. And the fourth thing he points out is what's before the throne. And he talks about these seven lampstands before the throne. In the book of Revelation, the number seven, it's used quite a bit. It says the seven lampstands of the Spirit. It just, it's, it's another way to talk about the Holy Spirit. The word seven in the book of Revelation means a completion. And so what it does is it gives us this great insight into what it will be like with Jesus forever and the opportunity we have to worship him, not then, but right now. It gives us this just teeny tiny glimpse. This is chapter four, chapter two and chapter three before it. It was written to seven churches, and they were given promises for those that over... So, man, if you overcome this, if you don't forget your first love, if you come back in contact with Christ, you will receive this promise of eternity. You will receive this crown that you get to bring to Jesus and lay down. That's what God says we get. And so there's this example of the white clothing, of, of the gold that they receive. But here's what hits me more than anything about this. The elders have this pure, authentic worship. It's not about anybody else in this scene other than the King of Kings. That's what gets me. The rest of Revelation should point us to Christ, whom we are to worship. Okay, But then, here's the deal. And I think so often we get, what, we get worship wrong. What is worship? If worship is such a huge part of heaven, we should probably like it, <laughs> you know? Because we're going to get, well, man, I grew up, this church, I grew up traditional church. Some of you grew up in... I call it calisthenic church. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Now, some of you maybe go there, and I'm not trying to be offensive to you. I couldn't do it, you know? I, I get a workout. Or, and I go, man, that's just not where my heart is. And, and I love worship. I love our team. I thought they did a great job. I thought Easton and Tim and Dan and Meg, didn't they do a great job? They are awesome. So I, I love rocking out. I love worshiping Jesus. But when we get up to heaven, there's not going to be like this corner for the Assemblies of God Church. 
that rocks out, and then the corner of the Catholic Church, who likes their form of worship, and the corner of the Lutheran Church, and then you got the Baptist Church, and the Foursquare Church, and the Non-Nominated Church, and the Methodist Church, and the Ephraim Church, and you got all these different churches. You know what's going to happen? We're one. We're coming up there to unify together to worship Christ. Guess what, guys? We might have to sing a Catholic hymn together. Okay, that might be what God wants. You know, years ago when I was doing mortgage closings, um, between being an associate pastor and a youth pastor, um, I was a mobile closer, so I'd have hours and hours to drive. And sometimes I'd be in such rural areas that we couldn't get any AM channels. Sometimes I get that now that I can't hit any AM channels other than A30. And, and I'm plugging through, and it comes across this, like, this worship, and it was, it was so bad. Like, it was so bad. It, I think it was some church live, and they're trying to record it through the radio, and it was awful. And I just instantaneously was like, that is awful worship. And I clicked it, and, and God just, man, convicted me so hard. He said, are you worshiping me, or are you worshiping the worship? Ow, that hurts, God. He said, you can worship me through anything. And so I went back to it, and for the next hour, a very long hour, a painful hour, I worshiped God through this Latin recitative and arias that this Catholic church was doing. And I just thought, you know what? It's not about me. It's how can I honor God through this? Worship is described by John here in a few different ways. He uses um, six different words. The first he uses is holy. We sing all these churchy words, you know? We don't walk around and say, man, are yeah, you good? You holy today? <laughs> no, we, don't, we just don't talk to people that way. So let's unpack this a little bit so we can put it into our language. It says, you're holy, 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 Lord. What does that mean? Do you know that holy actually means awful? Full of awe. That's where that word comes from. Awful, full of awe. Sacred, physically and morally pure and blameless. That's holy. None of us are holy other than Jesus. Second is worthy. You know what I picture when I say worthy? We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> you all have seen Wayne's World, whoever just laughed. But worthy means deserving, uncomparable to anything else. It means suitable. Jesus was the suitable sacrifice. No, the third thing, glory, means to show dignity. We're going to show him dignity. Fourth thing, means honor. Here's what's really interesting about honor. Honor in the Greek is the word time, okay? Time, and I usually don't get into Greek. We're not going to do big Greek study here this morning. But time, in the Greek, do you know what it actually means? It means, on one hand, honor. But time is the exact same Greek word for time. Exact same word. It's talking about our giving of our time and our resources. That is how we show honor, how we pay respect. The next one here, number five, is power, Okay. This is force, literally or figuratively force coming from God. Miraculous power that he has, this ability, this abundance, it's meaning, it's might, it's strength, it's violent power that God has. So let's think about that for a moment. If we're to worship this God who has this power, and this is everything that he is in heaven, why would I not want to know him now? Why would I not want to honor him now with my time and with my resources? Why would I not want to give him absolutely everything that I have. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at my life in, in the last week, and I go, zero to ten, ten being like, man, I've, I've got the best devotional life in the world, I'm just killing it. And zero is like, I don't have a devotional life. I'd probably put myself somewhere in the middle right now. I want to get that to ten. I want to be so desperate on Jesus. 
that I'm just with him. I'm spending time. I want to be in the spirit where God wants me to be. The last one here, number six, is thankful. He uses the word thankful. Just being grateful for who God is, not for what he does. There's a difference. This whole purpose of chapter four in their day was for the believer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture this with me. You have to put yourself in their time. During that time, if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, if you said, I'm going to become a follower of Christ during when this was written, and that's who this was written to, was Christian believers in that time, you had two sides that were persecuting them. You had the Romans that were killing them, that destroyed Jerusalem. And then on the other side, you had the Jews who hated what they had done. The fair, they, and so basically, they're going, is there any hope for us? We're going to die. Is there any hope? And so John receives this revelation from Jesus while he's in the Spirit and writes these words down to give them hope. Now, we have like millions of books on the book of Revelation that try to unpack this whole thing, but really, it was to give them hope of what eternal life actually looked like. Here's a glimpse. Let me just grab onto that. Let me hold on to that. They weren't worried in that time about the fishing boat in heaven or, come on, how many want to fly in heaven, right? You know, we want to fly in heaven. We, all that, we want good times in heaven. It talks about mansions in heaven. And here in this throne, we don't see that. All we see is the worship of Jesus. Can I just say, I believe when, when things are going wrong, when we don't worship Jesus, we get bitter rather than better. And he calls us to come into that throne room to worship him with absolutely everything that we have. During their day, this is the most interesting fact. They didn't have a chance yet when this was written to have corporate worship like we have. They didn't have that. And so this idea of coming together and having worship that we get to do, we have the freedom in this country to do that every single day if we want. They didn't have. That was not a part of their life. And so John said, man, you get this time where you get to come in to the throne room of God eventually all together, worship, lay your stuff down at, it, at the feet of the cross, at the feet of what Jesus did in that throne room and worship him. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. They're being killed for their faith. Just imagine, imagine how we would hold on to that if we were. We'd hold on to that so hard. Hope overcomes fear. Let me come back to the movie here, First Circle, and I'm going to invite Derek up here to just do a, a few last things. Hope over, overcomes fear. Eventually, you see these two, they, they get to live out part of their dreams in the movie. And it's incredible to see this happen. They go after it. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't instant success. But they had hope. They never lost that hope. Today, can I just make a plea with you? If you have lost hope, today is the day to hope in Jesus. How many people around you that you know in your circle of influence have lost that hope? Guess why you're there? Be the hope. Absolutely. You are that hope. You carry the light. You carry that throne room with you wherever you go. So it's your responsibility to share it. It's your responsibility. Hope is seeing the light when you're surrounded by darkness and then realizing that that hope is Jesus. We pray with me as Derek comes on up? God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you are that hope, Lord. Heaven's not what it seems. It's better. It's so much better. And God, I pray today that we live for you so we get to live for you of all eternity. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say one more thing before Derek shares. I shared with the youth group years ago. I said, if we are Christians today, we already have eternal life. It's, we don't receive eternal life when we die. It's right now. 
Okay? And as a Christian, what John was trying to get the Jewish Christians of that day to see is that that's the worst that ever would get for them. Okay? That was the worst. And he said, this is the best it's going to get. I've shared with the youth, I said, man, if you want to live for Christ, this is the worst your life will ever get. But if you don't choose to live for Christ, you better live it up because this is the best you'll ever have. That's all I got to say. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.